Yeah, some time ago we began this series on uh, this man called Peter, just an ordinary guy who loved to fish. And he thought that his life would be one of uh, fishing real fish. And Jesus just touched him and grabbed him for others along with him, and they became fishers of men. You may have recalled that we began this series in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus came to these men who were fishing. And uh, he had this, he tells, you know, remember, we've been fishing all night. We're not catching anything. Jesus says, well, go out over here into the deeper water. And, you know, Peter's like, yeah, right, sure, you're, you're a rabbi. We're the fishermen. Mind your own business. And they had this miraculous catch, you recall. And he called them to follow him. I find it interesting now at, at the, the end of his time with the disciples, we find the same kind of scene in John chapter 21. We're not going to read the first 14 verses, but it's this very similar story. The resurrection has now occurred. Jesus is touching base with his disciples, getting ready to leave the earth. But before he leaves, he wants to make sure that they understand this following thing. That from time to time, as with Peter, that he would fail Jesus. You can continue to follow him if you come in repentance and faith. Now we find in in John chapter 21, the disciples say, oh, let's go out fishing again. And they, they went out fishing and they weren't catching anything again. Second time. And this man on the shore, who they didn't recognize first as Jesus, says, uh, hey, put your nets on the other side of the boat or a little deeper water. And that surely must have rung a bell to the disciples. Like, well, we heard this before. And wouldn't you know it? I'm not sure why, but the scriptures give us the exact amount and probably over the limit in our day. And they would have got a fine, but 153 fish and not. Any scholars that I'm aware of have figured out why we had to have that number, but we don't know. But they called 153, and sort of that had to make them go back and think, wow, this happened just a short while ago as well in these three years, and now it happened again. And so we come to that part of the story. This just happened. And then Jesus invited them to come to shore and have breakfast with him, and, and, and we begin that reading in verse 15 of John chapter 21. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than you just for a moment? Because we've got to understand what's happening. Peter had abandoned Jesus. He denied Jesus. He wasn't with Jesus at the cross. He had met Jesus a few times before this now probably third encounter. And things have yet, not yet been made right with Peter. Peter is probably still confused about what's going on, still trying to say, boy, this is Jesus. He really did rise from the dead. Boy, did I ever fail him? I messed up big time. He surely doesn't have any use for me anymore. Okay, this is probably the mindset of Peter. Simon, son of John, do, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because of Jesus asking him this the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will be your you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to follow him. Just for information, for those of you who read 
history, in Roman history, there was a, a Roman historian by the name of Eusebius, 3rd century, 4th century, who wrote in his literature about this history that on that particular day, not only Peter was crucified when that day came, but I understand, according to him, that his wife as well was crucified just before him. Now, we're not sure. Eusebius was always kind of, yeah, sometimes he threw stuff in there that didn't necessarily happen in the way they did, but I found that interesting. Not only Peter, but he says his wife was as well crucified just before him. Follow me, Peter. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was that again? John. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? You know, we're always worried about the other person. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? In other words, mind your own business, Peter. You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And by the way, this particular disciple, John, would be the only disciple who would not be martyred or put to death because of his faith. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the whole world would have enough room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just in case, uh, for those of you who may not be sports fans or watch baseball of any kind, I believe this was the first week that the uh, Major League Baseball season began. Is that correct? I'm kind of a little bit behind as well. And, and if I remember right, did both the Cubs and the White Sox have their home openers already? And how are we doing? Are we off to a good start or same old, same old? I think I've asked this before. How many Cubs fans? I think it's like 50-50. How many White Sox? Yeah, it's just, I don't get, I get it. You know, I'm from Michigan. Well, we have other, the Tigers, and, but you, you, you vote for and you, and you like who you like. You know, both of these teams have what, what are called um, in, in baseball, I need a click. Can't find it. They both have what's called all-star players who eventually end up, there it is, in the Hall of Fame. And it's kind of a, a great honor because these are, these are men who are not just talented, but kind of a talented above the rest. And they do so well in their particular sport, in this case baseball, that they end up in the Hall of Fame. Now, for those of you who are White Sox fans, can you give me a couple people who are in the Hall of Fame from the White Sox? Karl Yuskrimski? Frank Thomas, he was one of my favorite. Big guy, right? Big Frank. And another one I wrote down that I, of course, this might age me a little bit now. Ken Griffey Jr., right? What about the Cubs? Hall of Fame. Ernie Banks, I have him down. Second baseman. Ryan Sandberg, he was like a favorite of many people, just a really nice guy. Some of these guys are not just great players, but better than the rest are in this Hall of Fame. And because of that, they get inducted into the Hall of Fame. But not every great baseball player gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, even if you were the greatest of the greatest. And who do you think I just might be thinking of? 
kids' church I'm not thinking of. <laughs> Are we going to have a problem with this today? I'll just keep it down. Okay. Hopefully my, some of my notes are on what I say, but that's all right. Pete Rose still holds the most career hits in history. Like 4,200 something, if I remember right. The greatest probably hitter in baseball ever. Did he have a nickname? Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle. And he was just a really dynamic and awesome player. But there was a problem. He, he's the one great player yet who was still not gotten into the Hall of Fame. And you know why. Why? He bet on baseball. He bet on his own team that they would win or lose at different times. And that was one of the cardinal rules that you do not break as a coach or a player. And because of that, he's still desiring so much, and many people believe he should, and some of you may believe he shouldn't. He still would like to be inducted into the Hall of Fame before he dies. But right now, he is banned for life. Pete, you blew it. You messed up. You failed us. And as of now, you're not getting in to the Hall of Fame. And the only hall you're going to get into is the Hall of Shame. And up to this day, to this moment, as far as I know, that's where Pete still sits or stands. The Hall of Shame. Now, another Peter that we're talking about this morning, that we've had these, this six, seven, eight-week series on, Peter, the disciple of Jesus, who was a fully devoted follower of Jesus. But I trust you heard, as you heard this series, that, that even Peter, as, as great a disciple as he would become, was a disciple who failed Jesus often. At least in these first three, four years of, of, of coming alongside of Jesus and growing as a disciple. Um, he failed Jesus a number of times. And, and it's so easy for us in our day and age, or when we read about a story, let's get saying, Peter, how could you? What's the matter with you? Well, don't, don't point fingers or, or judge Peter, because let's be honest, we sing about his... Uh, his grace is, is greater than our mercy in one of the songs. We all fail Jesus at times. Let's just get that premise out before I go on. Don't write Peter off as a guy who failed Jesus more than anybody else. That's self-righteousness when we talk that way. Let's understand first, when you become a Christian, you're not going to be perfect. In fact, you're not going to be perfect until you get to heaven. We're supposed to be making progress on this road of sanctification, becoming holy. Peter failed Jesus numerous times. We will as well. In fact, when you do, and for those of you who have recently failed Jesus in some way, whether it's moral behavior, whatever it may be, you just simply say something like this. I will tell you, welcome to the I Failed Jesus Club. I failed him too. And I'll tell you what, before I leave this earth, I will fail him again. I don't want to always make bad decisions. But we all belong, in essence, to the I Failed Jesus Club. And maybe some of you have failed Jesus just recently, or maybe some of you, even today, are sitting here this morning because you know that you failed Jesus. And you're not feeling really good about it. In fact, how do you feel when, when you fail Jesus? How do you feel personally? Not only that, how do people around you feel when they hear that you failed Jesus personally? We call these faith failures. But even more importantly than that, how does Jesus feel when we fail him? How does Jesus feel? 
And is Jesus the, the kind of God, the kind of Savior that would put us into the hall of shame and keep us in the hall of shame for the rest of our lives? Is Jesus the kind of God and Savior who would ban us for life from ever serving him in any way again because of our faith failures? Start thinking about that. You see, self-righteous people, and that's all of us at times are self-righteous in some way. I've learned in, in, in my years of living that there are always are self-righteous people that when there are faith failures among friends, church members, people they work with, there are self-righteous people who aren't always very nice. And they don't necessarily know how to respond correctly when someone faith fails them. Self-righteousness, judgmental, condemning, uh, little if any grace at all in how they would respond to you. And in fact, self-righteous people, and we've done this before as well, they begin to distance themselves from the person who's Faith has failed them. They don't want to be seen with that person because someone might see you with that person. They might think, oh, yeah, who, wow, what do you think? You're going to hang out with that person? Don't you know what they did or don't you know what they said? You're, not going, to, you're going to distance yourself from them completely? Like maybe we were friends once but not friends anymore. Maybe you were a church member once, but now I'm just going to stay away from you. Self-righteous people will put people who fail Jesus immediately into a hall of shame. And because of that is one reason why they don't want to be seen with you anymore. In fact, not only that, self-righteous people, and even if I can say it this way, self-righteous churches can take people and ban them for life of any opportunity that comes their way to serve Jesus. Pretty much letting them know that if you fail Jesus, you're not worthy of his service anymore. And that Jesus doesn't want you anymore as part of the team. Well, I've seen that over years of ministry. You've seen that as well. You see, this is how self-righteous people would respond to a faith failure. But I want to praise God we do this morning that for those who failed Jesus and come in repentance and faith before him, like Peter did, not just with tears, we have a God in the person of Jesus Christ who's not like that at all. He's just not like that at all. Let's consider for a moment as we look at John 21, how Jesus graciously responds to any follower of his who fails him in some way. Let's remember, Peter had just denied Jesus. Three times, I don't know the guy, I don't know him, I don't know him, now cursing in his mouth, I don't know him, leave me alone. Peter's not at the cross, he abandons Jesus at the cross. People come and tell Peter that Jesus now is risen from the dead. And Peter's like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, I do remember Jesus saying something about that, but I still can't believe it. i got to go see it for myself. Remember, he runs to the tomb. John ahead of him, but stops at the tomb. Peter passes him and goes inside, and the, Jesus isn't there. Scratching his head, still wondering, where's Jesus? Wow, it's, it's real. Maybe he is risen. i gotta, I got to get this straight. And then we read there were about three times up in the upper room. One of the gospel tells us that Jesus met with Peter, but that's all it says. It doesn't say the conversation they had, that he saw Simon. And now this time when they're fishing again, Jesus comes and he gets Peter's attention when they're having breakfast together on the beach. He knows Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's pretty much ashamed. Isn't that what you feel like? 
I remember growing up as a child when uh, I was naughty maybe once, two or three or four or five times, how hard it was to, to face my dad when he'd come home from work. Because my mom would always say, what would my mom always say if you were naughty? Yeah, isn't that, where did that come from? Wait till your dad gets home. And I remember still, you know, I got seven boys in this family, right? Mom, please punish me now, right? My mom wouldn't, I don't remember ever being punished from my mom. That was dad's job. So you're waiting for six, seven hours for dad to come home. And you don't know what you're going to get. I remember how ashamed you would feel when, when, when you stood before your parents and said, yeah, I did that. And boy, dad, I belong in the hall of shame. You know, I failed you. How does Jesus respond to Peter? How does he respond to us? Notice in this passage, Jesus takes the initiative that this is such a gracious act on, on God's part. Isn't it true when, when you fail Jesus in some way, morally or in some other way, whatever it was, that you sometimes find it difficult to pray and even difficult to, to go to Jesus in prayer because you're not sure if he would receive you? And you might just let your, 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 your life of prayer and your relationship with Jesus kind of dwindle away. You may distance yourself from Jesus because you think, Jesus doesn't want to hear my voice. I messed up. That's what I often thought, whether it's my parent or approaching Jesus. Jesus knows that about us. Notice, Jesus takes the initiative and he approaches Peter. Having breakfast here now on the beach. And he approaches Peter, what? Notice what he doesn't do, which we're so quick to do. He doesn't condemn Peter. He doesn't break judgment upon Peter. He doesn't ban Peter for life. He doesn't put Peter into the hall of shame. He just, that's the furthest thing from his mind. Because his mercy is greater than, than any sin that we have. And he doesn't say this, but you know this by implication. Jesus is pretty much saying to Peter, Peter, now listen to this about Jesus. When you fail me, I never stop loving you. Huh? When you fail me in some way, I will never stop loving you no matter what you do. And I need to know, in this case, Peter, I need to know, since I love you that way, do you still love me? Now, Jesus, you think Jesus knew that already, that he did or not? Of course he did. But he had to hear it from Peter. Peter, I love you. Do you still love me? Now, isn't it kind of interesting? A lot of commentators will point out uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter gets kind of irritated. And then he says, Jesus, you know that I love you. Huh? You know that. And Jesus said, okay, great. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Get out of the hall of shame. Get back on the road again. Get back. You're up to bat. The game is on. I still need you, and I'm going to use you fully as my disciple, as you fully devote yourself to ministry. Uh, Jesus restores Peter. Je Jesus comes uh, with forgiveness and with mercy, and he restores Peter. He reinstates Peter, and what happens? You know the rest of the story? Would Peter fail Jesus again? Yes, he would. Uh, there was, he was kind of, remember in the book of Acts, Paul, in fact, calls him to account when he was favoring the Jews over the Gentiles. And, and Paul had to pull Peter aside and say, Peter, uh, what's it, Acts 10, that, that, that vision with Cornelius? Peter, 
You can't do that. But on the whole, for the next 30 years, what happens to Peter as a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Read the first 13, 14, 15 chapters of Acts. Peter's a changed man. This man who was in the hall of shame becomes a man who went into the hall of fame. You, you see the, the, the power that Jesus gave him to be his disciple and how truly fully devoted he was as a disciple, even to the point of being crucified according to tradition, upside down on the cross for the sake of Jesus who he was following. Now let's understand something again. We're going to face failures. You're going to be a failure. As, as long as you live on this earth, there are times that you and I are going to fail Jesus. And we're going to have a moral failure. And it's okay to feel ashamed because you need to feel ashamed when you fail him. And um, you may distance yourself from Jesus. That Some people will do that. They don't even dare to approach Jesus when that happens. And sometimes the question is going to be, can God still use me? I feel like such a failure. I messed up again. Will Jesus still take me back? I, I want to be a fully devoted follower, but I'm always not fully devoted. Will Jesus take me back? Does God still have use for me? And the good news is, at least according to this place in the Bible, is Jesus forgives and restores. We just, we got to get that in our, in our heads. We need to know that when we fail Jesus, Jesus still forgives and Jesus still restores people. In fact, one author said it this way, God is still in the restoration business. Think about it. God is always in the restoration business. You can never fail Jesus enough that even though everyone else may leave you aside and distance himself from you, Jesus will never distance himself from you if you always come back to him in repentance and faith. That's the kind of God that we have. Sometimes I watch, because I just have an antenna, uh, there's a show from the 2010 to 2016 called Rick's Restoration. Anybody else see that? Um, American, what did he see? Restore like Americana. He, he takes furniture. Do we have those pics or can we show one of those? No. Okay. Uh, it's such beautiful pics. He takes, he'll take something like this old rusty uh, toy cart that my grandma used to have when I grew up. Just rusted to pieces. Doesn't look like just bad, like throw it out, which I'm so angry that we did because now you get millions of dollars for these things. Anyway, he'll take that ugly piece of furniture and bring it back to its original beauty. Unbelievable. Those of you who shook your head, you're saying, yeah, you can't believe what this person can do with, with, with stuff, with old bad stuff. Back to their original beauty. And this morning, this is a message that God is bringing us as we see Jesus working with Peter, as we see Jesus working with us. He says, listen, you can be ashamed. You should be ashamed when you fail me. But understand this. I'm coming to you not to condemn you, not to judge. This is why I died. This is what the cross was all about. I died for you for that. Come back to me in repentance and faith. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to ban you from service for life. I am here to forgive you. I am here to restore you to your original beauty. And for us, that original beauty is in the image of Christ. Let me do that. Get yourself out of the hall of shame. I don't know who put you there, but get out of it. I'm here to restore you. I have great plans for you. I have great plans for your future. 
get up, get back in the game. Let me restore you. I want to use you all the days of your life till I see you in glory. Well, I know that there are some people here this morning or some listening that need to hear this. God still has use for us when he, we fail him. Come back to him in repentance and faith. Come near to him and you'll be surprised what God can still do with you no matter what you have done. God still has use for service. And he kind of simply says this this morning as he said to Peter, do you still love me? This is, this is kind of how you discern this. Do you still love me, Frank, Sarah, Rachel, Andy? Do you still love me? Well, Lord, you know I still love you. Do you still love me? You know I love you. Do you still love me? You know that I do. Well, he says, then get up. Go forward. I have a plan for you and to use you for my glory in this world. And no matter what anybody else may say to you, listen to what I say, Jesus says. I love you with an everlasting love and you love me. Continue to be a fully devoted follower of me. And I will use you in my kingdom until I come again. Boy, hear that message this morning. Those of you who need it right now, who feel like a failure, hear that message. God is in the restoration business, and he wants to restore you to your original beauty. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we have a God who is so full of mercy and grace. Because all of us, are in the uh, I Failed Jesus Club. Not just once, but many times. And, and what a joy it is to hear this morning that even when we fail you, your grace is, is greater than our sin and you, and you come to restore us back and, and call us into service to get off the bench and to, and because we're up to bat. And that you have great plans for how to use us in your kingdom. Forgive us, Father, when we have been guilty of being judgmental and condemning and putting people into a hall of shame where we have no right to. Help us better when, when people repent and, and ask for forgiveness of their sin, that we could welcome them back into full fellowship and all the privileges that you give to us as your children and to be used of you and your kingdom in so many ways so that someday when we stand before you, We'll hear those words, even that were said to others. Well done, good and faithful servant. I've always loved you, and I know you've loved me. Welcome to your eternal home. In Jesus' name, everyone say, amen.